0: Welcome to Screen Therapy. I'm your host, Jason Schurz. In October of 2018, I found myself in the hospital, sitting across from a psychiatrist who was telling me I had bipolar. I was sent home with a bunch of medication and laid on the couch for a week. I had my iTunes library on shuffle, trying to shake the hornet's nest from my head. Ever since I was a kid, I've been using loud music as a form of therapy. Punk rock and mental health have always been connected. This podcast looks at that connection through the lens of different guests. This is Screen Therapy. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you about a way that you can support Scream Therapy. I now have a tea Public store where you can buy Scream Therapy merch. I hate that word, but yes, merch. You can get Scream Therapy t-shirts and other clothing designs, as well as tote bags, pins, stickers, and even mugs and phone cases. So head over to ScreamTherapyHQ.com, that's ScreamTherapyHQ.com, and crush two birds with one stone. Support the podcast and get some fancy new duds. Okay, on to episode 51. Integrating punk morals with a professional life, especially one rooted in academia, can be a tough slog. Joe McGeary is a psychology professor at Lesley University in the Boston area. He's learned that even though the academic world has been known to discredit dissenting voices, if you stick to your morals and do it your way, the punk way, people will respect you. Joe says using punk for therapy is only the start. Punk can teach us to be active participants as opposed to passive recipients, to channel what's making us angry in the first place, to strive for social justice and implement change, personally, socially, and politically. With these concepts in mind, Joe has published dissertations on many topics rooted in the DIY punk scene, including the therapeutic value of punk and hardcore. Hey Leslie University, you're lucky to have Joe.
1: My name is Joe McGeary. Uh, My pronouns are he, him, and his. I am a licensed mental health counselor in the state of Massachusetts, Um, is where I've been born and raised. My day job is that I'm an assistant professor of counseling and psychology at Lesley University in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I've been playing DIY punk and hardcore for about a quarter century at this point. And that's where some of my research and publications have attempted to make sense of my own experience by investigating the influence and impact of punk culture and the sort of phenomenological experience of being a participant in punk and hardcore on one's identity development.
0: I want to read some of these titles of the published topics that you've done in your career as as a mental health professional. So there's one called Now or Never, a Phenomenology of a Political Punk Tour. And we got rise above we're going to rise above obviously reference to black flag a qualitative inquiry into the use of hardcore punk culture as a context for the development of preferred identities and zines the diy ethics and empowering marginalized identities so what did your community think when you came forward with these publications
1: yeah you know um the word community is interesting to me because getting into punk as a kid i got into metal first and then metal kind of levied a punk and punk maybe the hardcore and then it all kind of came back around in, in the way it does and at first as a kid for me it was the music without the community kind of an isolating experience i was connected to it because of the meaning i was finding in it and really just the emotional catharsis and and the energy within the music, but the community piece didn't come until later. And so that piece feels like I have had to kind of construct it. And in many ways I felt outside of the community for a long time. And so I pretty much made sense of it in my own interpretation of the DIY ethic, which was, you know, what I'm just going to do it my way and, uh, I'm going to figure it out and it might be messy and some folks might say it's wrong. And sometimes if you just keep going, eventually, Yeah, make sense out of things. And lucky for me along the way, the community has coalesced being right across the river from Boston and Boston has a strong history of punk and hardcore as well as a strong history of academia. The more time I've spent in those circles, the more people I've met who are the types of folks I just want to be around. I think it was more of me acting and through acting, finding community than it was having a community and getting their response to the things I've done.
0: It's interesting talking about community and how the music came first. You got into punk quite young, like I think a lot of lifetime punkers like yourself and myself did. Mm -hmm. Metal was obviously a gateway for a lot of punk and hardcore stuff, I think for a lot of people. That idea of music before community, I think that's very telling because a lot of folks, they find that and then they don't really know the grander ramifications until they are actually in it when they go to a show and they start to see people that are doing activism and zines. And there's this whole other world that opens up, but there's that taste or that hint of what could be. How did you feel when you first discovered it?
1: Yeah. Somewhere along the way, my parents were told that I was an overactive kid, and I still don't know what that means. (laughs) Um, But uh, the way I've interpreted it is, I was kind of an intense kid, and I think I'm still kind of an intense person. You know, I felt emotions intensely. I did things intensely. So finding music that itself was intense, it made sense. And one of the, the phrases that is used in the uh, dissertation, the one that's got the Rise Above title in it there, I look at what we do in a lot of punk and hardcore and, and really loud rock in general as creating external dissonance for the sake of internal consonants. You're walking around, you're pissed off and you're confused and you're sad or whatever. And someone looks at you and smiles and says, hey, it's such a beautiful day. You're like, oh, you know what? I don't want to hear it. I, this doesn't work for me. But when you can find ways of creating a world around you that resonates or matches or embodies that which you're already feeling inside, when those two pieces, the internal and the external, actually match up, It's like a key in a lock that opens up an opportunity for a processing, for a change, for an insight, for uh, moving towards something as opposed to just moving away from things. And so that to me was the first piece. It was that realization that there can be something beautiful that comes out of uh, creating the external dissonance.
0: Yeah, and this idea that angry music begets angry people. Or that Mm -hmm. when you're really depressed, you shouldn't listen to depressing music. Go listen to some pop music. And that's not founded. It's, you know, many studies have looked at that and debunked that. And yeah, this idea of finding that kernel of rebellion and revelation and these things that I always wonder, you know, what is it about people who find punk rock?
1: Well, I think as much as there are 101 different subgenres and styles, there's probably 101 different answers to it some folks that i've talked to and and again part of my research is just capturing the phenomenon from other people's perspectives you know i've got my own and because listeners can't see me you know I'm, i'm a white guy my class and my ethnicity and my heritage all kind of match up with the dominant culture where i'm from in massachusetts so yeah okay great i understand how i got here but even within the groups i'm a part of there are a lot of different stories and avenues So it's tough to put a finger on it in one way, other than to say in the folks I've talked to, some of the themes that come out are that there's this creative space. There's a free space and I'm quoting Ian Mackay. He talks about punk being the free space where new ideas get presented. There is an audience for the new ideas because in his words, people are attracted to new ideas. So not just stepping away you know, rebellion, when you think of that word, it's like, okay, I am challenging dominant discourse. I am tearing down a system. I am walking away. I am critiquing. That's all moving away from something. But there's something I think that is, if not universal, common in the punk and hardcore worlds to not just moving away, but moving towards something new, something else, something preferred. Did
0: punk rock and being a punk lead you to counseling or to mental health work?
1: Yeah, I think there were... One of the problems I identified in my own life is that I was trying to keep the different parts of myself separate for a long time. And that was really the inspiration for my doctoral work was to bring in the nighttime me, you know, the the guy that was going to shows and being with my band and my buddies and all that. And the daytime me, the guy that was already doing the counseling work. In high school, I didn't know what I was doing with my life i really you know i was kind of like a firecracker lit at both ends and i just had to figure something out after high school because you know graduation was coming and what do you do so i decided to go study psychology just to figure myself out and figure out the people around me and kind of make sense of the world and at that time i was under the impression that that was a professional side of things and that my music was something different so It took me a bunch of years of having that dichotomy to eventually say, you know what? Not only does that not feel right, but I'm now at a point where I have a degree in psychology. I have an idea for a path that I can take in doctoral work. So I'm in a position now where I have the cultural clout to say, I'm going to do something different and i'm going to bring these two things together and just see what happens one of the coolest things for me i was singing in a hardcore band at the time of doing my dissertation so i'm doing all these interviews with some pretty cool people and at the same time writing lyrics for a new album and so my dissertation gets done i graduate and then i've got this album i look back i go whoa this album the entire thing is pretty much an extension of the dissertation So at that point, the worlds had completely combined, and that felt pretty cool.
0: The bands that you've been involved with over the years, do people seem to get that with your bands? Did they come up to you afterwards and say, hey, I really appreciate that song or those lyrics?
1: Sometimes, but what i found to be more of the case is punk is an embodied subculture. You have to have that space, whether it be at a show, or and so it's about creating the space at a show. And I'm thinking particularly when I was vocalist, I'd get less of people pulling me aside and saying things and more of people just acting, I was going to say acting out, <laughs> acting in ways during the show that indicated that we were doing something here. This was an ecstatic experience. If you look at the root of the word ecstasy, ex and stasis outside of that, which is normal. That not only ties into me, the importance of having that cathartic, Free space, but also ties into the quote that I had shared before that Ian Mckay has said about it being a generative space. And on the other side of that coin, I'll be on tour, and every night in a different city, you see a circle pit. You see a circle pit. You see a circle pit. And after a while, I started questioning: Where are we creating a revolution, and where are we just chasing our own tails? To me, this is where getting connected to the activist-oriented, change-oriented punk and hardcore matters, because we can create those moments in those rooms and then, what, walk back to the rest of our lives and be dissatisfied? Or can we take whatever that is that we're creating together and use that as, as the inspiration, as the connection, as the conduit to maybe making a little piece of a world that we want to live in?
0: Yeah, and I think on a personal level, being in the mosh pit when you're young and you go to your first show and you're smashing around and bouncing off other hunks of meat, that's a refuge. That's a place to feel safe, to feel like you belong. As I've grown older and older, I realize that I can actually help myself. I can pick myself off the floor. I don't have to have that same feeling of being safe in, in the pit. At the same time, it's such a communal experience and it is a way to remind ourselves that there is a charge here. There's something that can be done. So I'm kind of of two minds and getting back to Fugazi and Ian McKay. I mean, that was a big thing with them is they didn't think that was the best course of action. And I think about times slam dancing and what was I looking for?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what were you finding?
0: Yeah. What's been your experience with that over the years? Do you have a fond (laughs) memories of uh, being knocked to the ground or?
1: Yeah. It's funny, I'm laughing because I think about two weeks ago, I chipped my elbow um, at a show. You know, I got on stage, I went to see Terror. I love Terror. And if you're not familiar, uh, Scott Vogel, the singer, he encourages, almost to the point of hilarity, stage diving. And he does that because in his mind, there is a communal acceptance of trust that if I'm going to just jump off the stage, I'm going to trust that the crowd is there. And it's this point of connection and you know, between the songs, he's got a lot of positive things to say about the role of community. And so, you know, I get into it, you know, he convinced me and I'm up there. And of course, I happen to um, at one point jump to where there was no one. And so <laughs> <Classic>. <laughs> hit the floor hard, you know, of course, yeah, I mean, we've all done it. I can't help but wonder how many more times will I stage dive before I learn my lesson. But at the same time, there is something for me in moving from this space of a thinking, rational human into this space of a feeling, alive, acting being. I'm kind of reserved until I'm not. And there are not a ton of occasions where I'm no longer reserved. And it connects to a lot of my journey and the things that the stands I've taken in life. And I find that when I'm in a context with a band that I've liked for a long time. I know the songs and there is that positive message to it. That's where I can get brought into the moment. And if I come out a little sore the next day, it's kind of part of the way it goes. Uh, On the other side of the coin, I think there can be a problem potentially if we are not aware of that, which we are reenacting in those moments. And I think On the psychology side of things, there's a potential for us to be playing out our own trauma narratives and our experience of being hurt, which maybe there's space for some of that. But it's quite easy to get tipped over into uh, reopening a wound or doing something other than moving a step closer to healing. So I think there is a uh, sort of a fine dance there.
0: Yeah, and the self-harm aspect as well. A lot of punks whatever they do, they cut themselves on stage. They smash into each other. They, I know that when I was doing punk rock bands and screaming, I didn't often know where the line was between self-harm and expression. Yeah. That's part of me processing, mm-hmm. going through and, and looking at things that maybe are subconscious, yeah. but at the same time, yeah. Where's the line between healthy, unhealthy. Right. Yeah. It's an interesting conversation.
1: And I think about it in my own experience. You know, I don't do vocals um, in a hardcore band anymore. And one of the reasons that I I stopped was because I realized, you know, at first I'd be writing these songs and there would be a catharsis, there would be uh, a release. And as I would write lyrics about a topic and people would be in the crowd, you know, singing along, there would be that connection and I would see value in that. And then at some point I found that I would almost have to dig back into places that no longer felt present for me. You know, I'd have to reopen a wound because you can't fake it through a hardcore set. You know, you have to, at least I, as a vocalist, have to give it the true emotion to be able to make the performance convincing and to be able to replicate what's on the album. So I have to go there. But if going there is no longer where I am, then there creates that unhealthy dichotomy of experience and I started saying, you know what? Maybe I'll find some other way of connecting to being a vocalist, but right now what I'm doing is retreading ground that I'm happy to say I'm moving on from.
0: Yeah. You talked earlier about how you meshed your punk rock and your professional and I know a lot of people are able to do that successfully whether they're city councilors or school principals or other kinds of professional quote-unquote jobs what was that process like and and do you feel like you're living that truth at this point or are you feeling like you still have to compromise
1: i think it's ongoing it's an ongoing process and it's different place to place i think no matter how much we work to integrate ourselves who we are in a meeting at work versus who we are at a dinner table with family versus who we are you know wherever there's always going to be a slight difference at least sort of the cliched never ending journey but yeah I feel pretty good about my integration efforts you know I was in a job interview a few years ago and there was this whole team of people um, like a dozen people doing the interview and All of a sudden, someone was on their laptop and they were Googling me while we were talking. And they just, in the middle, interrupt the conversation by playing one of my band's music. (laughs) And I'm sitting there wearing a tie and like talking all serious and everything. And then this happens. And I turned and I was able to say yes. And I wrote a 278-page dissertation on that topic and was able to just, without batting an eye, stand behind what I've done. And because I've gravitated towards music and activism that aligns with my beliefs, I'm very happy to speak with anyone about it and to stand behind it. And where it's taken me most recently is I've started working in support of people who are either in asylum shelters in Mexico or most recently uh, internally displaced folks in Ukraine through Zoom. We're doing virtual meetings to support teams of psychologists working with kids in either the shelters or who are internally displaced in Ukraine. And the reason that I'm able to do that is because part of my academic training was in trauma work and then specifically in refugee trauma. And so it ties in to some of the political stances I've taken in my music in regards to opinions on policies that the United States government has in regards to immigration. And now I'm finding ways of taking that activism with the punk heart and using my credentials and my training to get me in the door to places to be able to hopefully be useful or make a difference.
0: Do you find that you're able to use punk rock ethos and ethics in your clinical work with clients Mm -hmm. who are dealing with mental health conditions, trauma?
1: Yeah, um, I worked for about a decade as a school adjustment counselor, worked in a therapeutic high school. And we had a music room in, in the school. And so boom, right there, it was direct, whether the kids were into the same bands as me or not, holding that space for anger and confusion and everything else that connects to it. I found that I was able to bring in my punk uh experience directly into an understanding and and it becomes sort of an unspoken understanding that there's a sort of resonance people can tell that you get it in a way and you know the decisions i make about the type of counseling i do about the insurance companies i do or do not work with about the fees i do or do not charge everything that i do is in line with the state regulations and the ethical codes but how can i be creative within those boundaries, challenge a little bit of that which people have been told. Because a certain amount of what people bring to counseling are the experiences that have happened to them, and a certain amount are the things that they've been taught to believe. And sometimes those lines blur. Particularly, narrative therapy has been one type of therapy that I've grown to utilize because it talks about how identity is socially constructed, and therefore, how we can either deconstruct dominant narratives that are problematic or strive towards constructing preferred ways of being in the world. And if that's not punk, I don't know what is.
0: And I recently talked to Jessica Drass about that. She was on the podcast a couple episodes ago, and Mm -hmm. that was one of the main tenets of punk rock that we talked about, the idea of deconstruction and reconstruction. I'm always blown away by how many folks I find that are doing what you're doing in a general sense, doing mental health work, counseling work, but also with this punk background. And I think when I first started doing the podcast and also the Scream Therapy book, I didn't realize that I could even Google and say punk rock psychologist and have these <laughs> the hits come off. Have you run across other folks in your life that are doing similar work that are punks? And what yeah. do you think about that connection?
1: I'm thinking of two very quick stories. One is a person that you know, became a mentor and a, and a dear friend of mine I met on my first day in grad school to become a counselor and and he was a faculty member and he was wearing this ratty old leather jacket with a Misfits logo painted on it and everything. And so I walk up and I'm like, hey, cool jacket. He's like, thanks. I found it in the trash. He has no connection to punk, but just who he is, (laughs) an outsider. So that was hilarious.
0: Of course, it's a misfit. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) But then on the other side of the coin, when I finished my dissertation, I... Presented it at the International Narrative Therapy and Community Work Conference in Adelaide, Australia. And this is about a decade ago. And The Organizer, one of the big, you know, names in narrative therapy, and we were talking between sessions, he's like, Oh, yeah, you know, that's really cool. I love the exploited. And he starts talking about his own punk background. And so people are out there. And what I find is even if it's not punk music and punk culture, the values and the beliefs resonate. Quite well with that, which is necessary to be an effective counselor. There is something about believing in the person within the context that I think is necessary in counseling. And I think if we take a moment and step back from a lot of, at least the punk and hardcore that I like, there is something about that saying, in some way, indirectly, even, I see you you have value. You need not be an active being rendered passive. You can become an engaged, alive, contributing human. Actually, you are that, but you can become connected to those parts of you that, for whatever reason, feel far away. I won't forget. I won't forget. I won't forget.
0: That was my conversation with mental health counselor Joe McGeary. J. at leslie.edu. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Scream Therapy. I'm coming to you from Powell River, a small coastal town in British Columbia, Canada, on the traditional territory of the Klahomin Nation. Doing this podcast and talking to other folks living with mental health challenges has been a huge part of my journey. It means the world to me that you're out there listening. You can sign up for my newsletter and find more episodes at ScreamTherapyHQ.com. That's ScreamTherapyHQ.com. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Let's talk punk and mental health. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, take care and be well.